Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of the scriptures and we need all the power we can get from those divine instruments. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and this is a special feature that we're doing as we study Isaiah. I'm really dedicated towards helping everyone not only learn to understand Isaiah, but I hope learn to love Isaiah. That's the name of my my commentary is uh, learning to love Isaiah. Uh, but I just really hope everyone will learn to love Isaiah. And as one of the things that we're doing to help you with that is I've taken little videos that I've made for my classes. Uh, so when I teach the Isaiah class, there's more than we can cover, even though we're sometimes just covering two chapters a day that we can only still do about maybe 30% of what I'd like to do. So I take at least one topic and most days of class, I have a little video that the students are supposed to watch uh, that explains some things for them. Uh, that they we just won't have time to do in class. And I've decided to make those into a feature uh, for everyone on my podcast. So this introduction will be at the front of each one of those. And then what you're going to have is the opportunity to watch or listen to. And, and sometimes I will make reference to pictures because uh, when I made this, I wasn't making it for a podcast. And so I didn't have just audio listeners in mind. So I apologize for that. But uh, I'll have both the, the uh, video on YouTube and I'll have the audio on uh, my typical podcast. And I think you'll be all right without the pictures uh, 99% of the time. Uh, but uh, you'll just get what my students uh, get. And I'll sometimes say we're going to talk about this in class, but we won't talk about it in class. Hopefully those elements we'll talk about in the regular podcast episodes. I'll also just say that I'm doing tons of interviews with other people on Isaiah for their podcast. Some of those will be joint podcast broadcasts, so you'll get to hear them as well. And sometimes uh, you'll just have to go to the other podcast. But each week I'll try and make you aware of where you can go to get more to help you study Isaiah. And then, of course, the scriptures and your time pondering is the biggest place and also commentaries such as mine or uh, those by some of my colleagues. So I hope you enjoy this little uh, video or uh, audio version of what I do for my class. Okay, so as we get into these chapters in Isaiah, it seems like when I teach this class that so often there's not enough time to cover some of the little details that help make th things make sense. And sometimes it's helpful for you to know it as you're doing the reading. So uh, for most days, we're going to do a little bit of these details uh, in a video so that we have more time to hit on the most important things in class. So this is uh, a good start to that, I hope. We're going to cover Isaiah 4 through 5. Most of this we'll cover in class, and including the Song of the Vineyard, we're going to cover in class. We'll talk about the meaning and what we should get from it and so on, and we'll kind of practice on some of these things together. But there are a few things that I wanted to go through and show you uh, so that you could just have a feel for the poetry of Isaiah. Isaiah is very poetic. It's clear to see that as you read it, and we've talked about it already by now. Um, but there are some things that you're never getting because you're reading it in English. And uh, while we won't do this again and again, I think it's worth knowing uh, and, and experiencing it a few times just to get the idea of how poetic he is. Uh, in many ways, he's like uh, Elder Maxwell, we've already talked about that he just uses symbols and alliteration and, and so on so amazingly well and, and plays on words. So let's just give a couple of examples. So verses one through seven is the first song of the vineyard. There'll be more as we go along through Isaiah. But um, we're going to, as I said, we'll talk about the meaning of that in class. But I wanted to show you this. In verse one, 
when he says, I will sing you a song that's Asherah Shirat. So I'm just going to read this in the Hebrew, that first little part about singing a song of my beloved. Dodi is my beloved. Karim is vineyard and so on. So uh, I'll just read this to you so you get an idea of, of the alliteration or the sound quality that he does that is so great. So Asherah Shirath, Ladidi Dodi, Lakarmo Karim, Naladidi Naladidi, Karim Karen, Karen Ben Ben Shaman. All right, so you get the idea that uh, this isn't just a great, uh, I guess, allegorical device, but for the Hebrew reader as he hears it, which is how most people would experience it, not everyone's literate, so most of them are going to hear it read, but also for those who read it, it's got this uh, kind of cadence and it's got this alliteration and sound quality that really makes it amazing poetry. Um, you'll get the same thing in another verse. Uh, this is what we call paranomasia. When you do a play on words, words that sound alike. So um, Isaiah is brilliant at this, where he talks about instead of judgment, there's oppression. Instead of righteousness, there's a cry of uh, distress. But the word for judgment is mishpat, and the word for uh, um, oppression is mispach. So judgment in Old Testament context, and Isaiah is going to refer to this a lot, so this is important for you to know. Judgment isn't like we think of it as where we say, quit judging me, right? Judgment is a, it's a form of leadership, and when you perform judgment, you are trying to make things the way they should be, right? So a righteous judge is someone who's trying to set things right when they've gone wrong. So judgment is when you take care of the poor so that they are, are not oppressed, but they're taken care of, or the fatherless and the widows, and, and uh, it's someone who's been robbed and those kinds of things. So performing judgment is to, to make sure everything is the way it should be, but the biggest emphasis of that is to take care of those who can't take care of themselves as opposed to oppressing them, which is what so often happens that the powerful oppress the weak, whereas really the powerful are supposed to take care of the weak. So when he says, instead of mishpat, um, mispach, instead of tzedakah, tzedaka, right? So you can see how those sound alike, or you can hear how those sound alike, just to give you an idea of the, the wordplay that he uses. And he does this kind of thing all the time. We won't point it out too often, as I said. Now let's look at a couple of specific verses in the song of uh, the vineyard. Um, well, and actually the part that's just after that, this is the judgment that's going to come to them because they haven't um, kept the covenant the way they should. And we're going to go through a couple of specific things that people often get confused about and have questions about. So chapter 5, verse 8. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. So most meter, uh, modern readers read this and they think, oh, he doesn't like uh, townhouses or uh, apartment complexes or things like that. Um, but I, I mean, maybe he's talking about that a little bit, but I don't think so. What I would encourage you to do is to read it in light of the Abrahamic covenant. You're getting familiar with this. So remember that the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant are that there would be abundant posterity, that they would just innumerable posterity for Israel. Well, when you have abundant posterity, then, and they become so numerous, then they have to live close together. So when you, uh, and you'll find this in Isaiah all the time, he'll talk about when you're keeping the covenant, there's not room for you in the promised land. There's so many of you. And as a result, then you'll have to live very, very closely together, right? So it's not woe because they've done it. It's woe because they have had that kind of blessing. But now 
Um, and as I said, it could have other meanings, but, but really the primary meaning is the Abrahamic covenant. So now, this is what he will say. In mine ear, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. So, whereas the promise of the Abrahamic covenant is numerous posterity, the curse, if you don't keep the Abrahamic covenant, is that you will have hardly any posterity, and as a result, all those places that people were once living in will now be desolate. No one will live in them, not one inhabitant, um, because they haven't kept the covenant. So that's, that's really the imagery he's trying to use here. And so it will have, I think, some literal fulfillments. We'll see that as Assyria comes in and later Babylon comes in, uh, that houses that had people in them literally will have no one in them. And so there's a literal element to it in his day and shortly thereafter. But the bigger picture he's trying to paint is because you haven't kept the Abrahamic covenant, you'll get the cursings of the Abrahamic covenant rather than the blessings. And so when you read these verses, think of the literal fulfillment, but mostly think not about, oh, is he mad because I live in BYU apartments that are so close together? No. What he's saying is when you were blessed with the covenant, that was great. You had numerous posterity, but now you're cursed because you're not keeping the covenant and the covenant's being reversed. So that's that's what he's meaning. He will go on with that in verse 10. Remember that part of the blessings of the covenant is that the land yields abundantly. You have this amazing harvest. It's just bounteous and it, it makes you wealthy and takes care of you. You prosper in the land, right? That's the Book of Mormon way of talking about the covenant, that you prosper in the land. It's absolutely Abrahamic covenant of the Book of Mormon when you do that. Um, but here's what will happen in verse 9. He continues to say the covenant reversals as they get the covenant cursings because they've broken the covenant. Um, so we get him saying, Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. Well, that doesn't make any sense to you unless you take the time to Google, and you could just Google and find out how much is a bath, how much is an ephah, how much would a vineyard normally yield. So let's, let's go through it just so that you can uh, see how to do this. But these are the kinds of things you can do on your own, actually, as you want to understand Isaiah. So here's a picture of a, a vineyard in southern Judah. This is next to the town of Lachish. We'll talk about Lachish as we go along. But anyway, this uh, Lachish is uh, just right up here, the hillside you can see, but the vineyard is right below it. Anyway, 10 acres of grapes is, is uh, what he's talking about, right? And in modern times, so these are some of those uh, vineyards or these, these vines right there in Lachish. Modern times, 10 acres of grapes, you can expect about five ton of wine. That's a lot of wine, right? But he says 10 acres will yield one bath. Well, one bath is five to seven gallons. Right? So you see what he's saying. Where you would expect five tons, you'll get five gallons. That's the opposite of the land yielding bounteously. This is what I would call chaos literature. If the land is not yielding bounteously, it's yielding hardly anything, right? So those are grapes from that that same area, as he tells them, basically, covenants being uh, reversed. You're getting the covenantal cursings. Let's look at this uh, stuff about the seed, all right? So one seed of wheat, so here's a, a grain field in uh, northern Israel, right there. One seed of wheat will usually uh, yield a stalk, and a stalk will yield 40 kernels. So this, this is actually my excavation shot site in um, Egypt. Those are some of my workers there, but they still harvest it 
by hand the same way that uh, that they would have in the Bible. I mean, a little bit better tool. So just so you can get an idea of all those stocks, you see the sheaves with all the stocks together there. Well, one stock would yield 40 kernels. That's uh, today. It wouldn't be quite as much in, in biblical times. Um, so it, for them, it would probably yield 10 to 20 kernels. And they grew mostly barley, but also some wheat. So these, this is from my excavation, actually. This is about 2,000-year-old um, wheat or barley. Uh, and so the kind of barley that they grew at that time didn't yield quite as much. But still, from one seed of wheat, you can expect to get 10 or 10, 10 to 20 seeds. That's how you say 10 to 20 is 10. It's a new word we just invented. But anyway, that's how you can get, uh, that's what you can expect from a seed of wheat is a 10 to 20 fold return. Um, sometimes actually uh, you were getting, it may be that they were just getting a six to 10 fold return. All right, so um, that's, that's important to keep in mind. And then think of the parable of the Savior where he talks about wheat yielding uh, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold. Well, that's unheard of even in our day, right? 60 or 100 fold. But in their day, when you're getting maybe six to 20 um, return, depending on the kind of wheat or barley you're talking about, um, right? then that's really crazy. Anyway, so he's saying for a seed, uh, the seed of a homer, you'll get an ephah. So you would expect for the seed, you'd get around, let's say around 10 times. Um, that's kind of a decent average, around 10 times the yield. But in fact, an ephah is a tenth of a homer or 10%. So it, what's happening is for uh, planting, say, 100 seeds, you get 10 seeds that actually grow. So you can see this is, you'll die if you do this. You're, you're losing more than you're getting. You plant an entire field and you'll get a little teeny tiny bit back. So, so plant 10 bushels, you'll get one bushel that grows. You're going to starve if you do that, right? That, that's, that won't work. So again, this is just a way of saying that the covenant has been reversed and um, they're, they're now getting the covenantal cursing. So keep that in mind as you do your reading, and that will allow us to talk about some other things in class. So I'm going to uh, stop the video now, and uh, you can uh, do your reading and take your quiz and enjoy it, and we'll talk about it in class.